My name is Dominic, and I'm excited to be here with you all today. Uh, whether you're in the room or whether you're online, I'm excited that we're together. And I'm going to do two things this morning. I'm going to try to quell my excitement so that I don't end up falling into this tub next to me. I'm seriously nervous about that. I didn't realize it was so close. And I'm going to do my best uh, just to share what I believe is God's heart this morning for us as we gather together uh, on Easter Sunday. Uh, I'm really excited this morning because we are going to baptize six people. Uh, we're going to be baptizing six junior high and high school students today. Yeah. Two of them I've known since they were born, and the other four I've known far less than that, but I'm just stoked and excited to hear about the journey that God has taken them on, the way that he's revealed himself to them, uh, and just the beauty of the way the gospel has been displayed in their lives, and they've said yes to it. Um, and so my heart again this morning is to just share what I believe would be God's heart for us as we gather together this morning, as we celebrate with one another, the resurrection of Jesus. Amen. I want to start by, by saying this, as I've been reading through the account of the last week of Jesus's life through the gospel of Mark, uh, chapters 14, 15, 16, I've been really struck by one simple word. And that word is with. I've been struck by what that word stands for and what I believe it represents as I've been looking at and traveling through and journeying through the last week of Jesus' life. Simple word, the word with. What I've realized is that there's a lot of key moments that talk about times and places that Jesus was with people. I just want to take you through a quick journey. We don't have time to read it all, but in Mark 14, we're told that the religious leaders are scheming and they're getting together and they're talking about how do we kill Jesus? How do we get rid of him? Because he's a threat to their power, a threat to their society, a threat to their way of life and everything that they know and want to hold dear. And as they're gathering to do that, Jesus shares company with Simon, a leper in his home. And a woman comes with an alabaster jar to anoint him with oil. Jesus is dining with two people that the power would say they don't deserve access. They don't deserve right. They don't deserve privilege. They don't belong here. But Jesus is with them. Jesus shares company with his disciples as he seeks to find a place to celebrate Passover. At that table, he knows and understands it's his last meal. And yet he shares it not only with his disciples, but also with Judas Iscariot, the man who will betray him. Jesus eats this last meal, and then he goes into the Garden of Gethsemane, and he takes with him his disciples. As they all go together, he goes on even further, and we're told that he takes with him three of his closest disciples, and he bears his heart. He bears the burden that he's distressed, and he's burdened by what is about to happen. He knows it all, and yet he takes them with him, and he goes with God the Father to kneel down and to have a dialogue and to converse about the realities of what's going on. As he's doing that, we see that Judas Iscariot comes with the Sadducees, with the scribes, with the priests, with the elders, and they come with drawn swords. And Jesus is betrayed with a kiss. It's a simple word, with, but it represents a lot of key moments that took place in Jesus's life. Each of these moments are defining. And I've been thinking about it. I think if there was a word that potentially could sum up Jesus's life, it might be the word with. It would either be that or be the word love. But if we were to talk about his love and define his love and expound on his love and describe his love, we would have to do all of that as we talked about how he loved people as he was with them. You tracking with me? With, with love. At his birth, and matter of fact, Jesus was declared to be Emmanuel, God with us. 
the God who was born with us, the God who learned with us, the God who grew with us, the God who walked with us, the God who talked with us, the God who fished with us, the God who cried with us, the God who mourned with us, the God who dined with us, the God who knelt down to defend when others were with us throwing stones, the God who stood up to speak words of kindness and declare God was with us. God with us. Jesus lived with us. And he relates with us in every aspect of our humanity except one thing, the commitment of sin. And yet I find it interesting that as I was reading through the last week of Jesus' life, we come to chapters 15 and chapter 16 where it's the depiction of the death and the crucifixion of Jesus. And I notice this. I want to read for you Mark chapter 15, verses 27 and 32. And it says this, and it says, And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. In other words, at the end of his life, we find that Jesus is hanging out utterly alone. A man who spent his whole life with others in service to them, with others to display and embody the love of God for them. At the end of his life, we find him utterly alone deserted by his disciples, although some of them were among the masses, reviled by those who were with him closest around him in proximity, the Son of God there alone. And yet, I think he hung there in that position exactly as he desired it to be. In all the ways that Jesus came to live life with us, there was only one place that Jesus would not share with us. He was alone on the Roman cross of death with only the scorn of the world and the weight of humanity's sin upon himself. In all the ways that Jesus came to live and do life with us, there was only one thing that Jesus would not share with us. The punishment of that sin, which was separation from the very presence of the living God, his Father. In all that Jesus shared with us, that place on the cross, that state of separation from God, that he would not share with us. Jesus refused to share it with us because of his love for us. With, and now the word for. For is the second word that has stuck out to me and struck me as I was reading through these accounts in Mark's gospel, 14, 15, 16. In particular, the way it shows up in Mark chapter 16. I want to read verses 1 through 8 for you, which is the Mark's account of the resurrection. It says this. It says, When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on, that first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back, and it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who is crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and they fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. 
We see here that Mary of Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, they go to the tomb in order to anoint Jesus' body with spices. It would be the equivalent of us going to a grave site to put flowers at the tomb or flowers at the grave. It's the cultural equivalent of that. And we're told that as they go, as they're on their way, verse 3 of this chapter tells us that they're walking and they ask each other this question. Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And I think this is a very important question for us to consider and look at for a moment. Because I think what we see here is both of these Marys expressing their deep desire to be with Jesus. But they're humble enough and aware enough to acknowledge that there is something in the way blocking their experience to be with God. To be with the one who is with them, who they now desire to be with once again. Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And we're told that as they are on their way and they're asking this question, we're told that they look up and they see that the stone has already been rolled back away and it was a very large stone. And they meet a man inside and the man says this, do not be alarmed in verse six. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. In other words, they receive an answer to their question. They were asking who is going to roll away the stone for us? Who is going to remove the barrier for us that stands in between us and our longing to be with Christ? Who is going to roll away and move the stone that stands between us and the longing that we have? And the answer that they receive in essence is God will do it for you. Actually, God has already done it for you. The risen Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, declares that God is not only with us, but that God is for us. And I want to talk about this in a few ways. Those of you that are being baptized today in particular, I want to speak to a few things that I think might resonate with you. Because when I thought back to that age and that season, they resonated with me. And actually, if I'm still honest, they still resonate with me. So this is not only for you, but it's for all of us. See, if we read on after this declaration that he is risen, that he is not there, that he's already gone ahead to be with you in the place that you was familiar with you, we read this in verses 8 through 10. It says that the women went out from there and they fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. But verse nine tells us this. Now, when he rose early on the first day of that week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene from whom he had cast out seven demons. And then she went out and she told those who had been with him as they mourned and as they wept. See, the risen Jesus is the God who pursues us. He's the God who longs to be with us. And so he's not the God that's just with us in a far off kind of sort of way. He's the God that is with us and for us in a personal and a compassionate and a powerful way. The risen Christ comes and pursues because his desire is to still be with us. And he knows that our ultimate longing that we were created for is also to be with him. And so the risen Christ comes and shows us just how much he is for us. 
I believe that Jesus goes and he meets Mary in her longing for connection and intimacy. After all, isn't that why she went to the tomb? After all, isn't that the longing that compelled her to go? Not just to pay respects, not just to lay flowers, not just to do spices, but her heart's longing and and desire and connection to be with the one who had loved her like she had never experienced before. Jesus meets her and speaks to her and reminds her that what she longs for is exactly what she's been created for. Created for intimacy, created for connection, created to be in relationship with the living God. He reminds her that Jesus is the Savior who gave everything for her in order to show just how much God desired to be in relationship with her. Jesus wouldn't share the cross with her. He wouldn't share the punishment of sin with her. But Jesus in his resurrected body comes to her to show her just how much God desires to share all the rest of life with her. The longing for intimacy, the longing for connection, the longing to be with, only the resurrected Christ can satisfy that the way that Mary longed for it and the way that you and I long for it. It's a great mystery, really, to think about union with the resurrected Christ, union with the living God. And yet what I'd propose to you is that there is no truer form of relationship in all of existence than the invitation that God who is with us and the God who is for us extends to us through his resurrected son, Jesus. A relationship with no truer love, no truer commitment, no more unbreakable of a relationship exists than relationship with the resurrected Christ. And God has made that possible for you, for me, for Mary, for the world. Jesus is the God who is ever present with and for you because he loves you. I think the second longing that Jesus comes and meets that we see here in Mary is a longing for peace over fear. We're told that Mary, for fear and for trembling, for fear and astonishment, she left the gravesite and she said nothing. But once the resurrected Jesus comes to her, we see that everything is transformed. Jesus goes to Mary and he says to her, in essence, I am alive. I have rolled away the stone for you. I have overcome the grip and the sting of death for you. I have rescued this world from death and you have nothing to fear. I'd imagine that it called to mind for Mary recollection when Jesus was with them prior to his death, when he said to them, do not be afraid. Yes, in this world, you will have trouble, but guess what? I have overcome the world. And the resurrected Christ comes in bodily form to her to remind her that this is true, that she has nothing to fear in this world when she is in relationship with the risen Christ who desires to be in relationship with her. And he has already done everything for her to make that possible. And that is true today for you and for I. See, Jesus was the first to be raised from the dead, but Jesus won't be the last. The resurrected Christ proclaims to her, you have nothing to fear, not even death itself. I have overcome that for you. I think the third longing that I see that Mary has here that the resurrected Christ speaks to for her is a longing for hope. In the midst of her journey to the gravesite, I'd imagine that she and the other Mary 
weren't just asking the question of who is going to roll away the stone for us. I'd imagine they had all other kinds of questions as well. That if we're going to the grave of Christ who has died, who we thought was the Lord, then everybody else has won. We're the fools. And what are we going to do with our lives? What does this mean for us? But the resurrected Christ meets her there in her state of bewilderment, in her state of overwhelm, in her state of trembling and astonishment. And he speaks words of hope to Mary. See, when we put our trust in Jesus, we have a living hope because Jesus' love and Jesus' power, they bring a new start. Mary was humbled in a sense by the suffering. Mary was darkened in a sense by unmet expectations. Mary was overwhelmed by the seeming evil that had won in the reality of her world. And yet the living Jesus brings hope of new life and of new creation and declares to her where you are now is not the end of the story. There is hope even in the midst of seeming and overwhelming darkness. The resurrected Christ declared that to Mary, and I believe he declares that for us this morning as well. See, there's nothing that can conquer, and there's nothing that can outlive the victorious Christ who has risen from the dead. I believe that was key and essential in terms of Jesus declaring that to Mary. That there is nothing, no matter what you're going through, nothing can outlive and nothing can conquer me standing here in front of you, the resurrected Christ who is alive from the dead. And Jesus gave her a hope, not just for this life, but Jesus declared to her and declares to you and I a hope for life eternal. I think there's one last longing that I recognize here in Mary that I recognize in myself and maybe resonates with any of you. The resurrected Christ speaks to a longing for meaning and for purpose in this life. See, when we trust Jesus and we align our lives with him and the truth of his death and his resurrection, nothing we do nor nothing we experience is meaningless. It all has great purpose. Think about the simple act that Mary was going to perform, bringing spices to lay on the body of a dead person. Meaningful according to tradition, meaningful according to what would allow her to bring have closure, meaning, meaningful to what? if death is the end, right? But the resurrected Christ brings new meaning and new purpose to simple and mundane everyday cultural experiences and activities. The resurrected Christ comes to us and declares that because he has risen, we one day will rise as well. The resurrected Christ comes and declares that because he has conquered death, he has also conquered it for the world. And that death is not the end. There is a new creation that will come. There is a new heaven that will come. There is a new earth that is to come. He himself will bring that again for us. Why? Because he's the God that desires to be with us. And so if the resurrection is true, and if there is a new day, a new creation, a new heaven, a new earth, a new kingdom, a new city, a new reality in which we can enter into by faith in Jesus, It means that everything we do right now actually has implications for that future eternal reality. Every word then that Mary spoke from this point forward, we see Jesus calls her, in a sense commissions her to speak as a declaration of his resurrection. Every act that she would do from this point forward was infused with the life of the resurrection, bringing new purpose and new meaning to her life. 
And I believe that same thing is true for you and I. When we believe in the resurrected Christ, nothing we do is purposeless. Nothing we do is meaningless. Everything has great purpose and meaning because it leads and points forward to the reality of the living God and the kingdom that is to come. When we choose to do it by faith, when we choose to do it trusting in Christ who is resurrected, the God that is with us, the God that is for us, the God that has conquered the world on our behalf. Whatever you're seeking this morning, whatever you're longing for this morning, whatever the scenario or the situation is where you feel like there's a stone in front of me and I acknowledge I can't move that myself, who is going to do that for me? What I propose to you this morning is that the resurrection brings to life for us all of the reasons why God sent his son into the world to be with us. The resurrection brings to life for us the forgiveness of the cross. The resurrection brings to life for us the peace of the cross. The resurrection brings to life for us the access of the cross, the liberation of the cross, the reconciliation of the cross, the healing of the cross, the redemption of the cross, the victory of the cross, the salvation and the wholeness of the cross. Every promise of the new covenant that the cross won and bought for us, the resurrection brings it to life for you and I when we look upon the resurrected Christ in faith. What is the stone that you feel stands in the way between you and the longings that you have? Where is the position in the places as you're traveling on your journey, you stand there and on your way, you're asking yourself through grief and through suffering and through pain, and you're saying, who is going to roll this stone away for me? The resurrection of Jesus Christ declares that God is with you, that God is for you and that he loves you and the resurrection brings to life for you all the reasons why God sent his son into the world to be with you. Jesus is alive. He is with you and he is for you. And there's one question though I think we all have to ask ourselves. What does Jesus' work on the cross and his resurrection mean to me? And what does it mean to be saved? See, if you believe that Jesus rose from the dead, achieving victory over the cross of death, and you accept that he did that for you, you'll never be the same. And you'll never look at the scenarios and the situations of life the same again. You'll be restored in relationship with God. You'll never be alone. You'll always have a hope. You will always have peace over any fear. And you will have a life and a living purpose that can never be taken away from you. I'm excited this morning that we're going to celebrate baptism with six of our students. I'm stoked this morning that God, by his grace, has revealed to them the reality of what I believe we just spoke about, which is true. That Jesus is alive and he is with us and he is for us. We don't have time for them to share all of their stories but as they come up, there's going to be QR codes on there. And I'd, I'd encourage you at some point to take snapshots of those and, and to read their stories or to go onto our website and take time later today and read their stories to hear how they have experienced the reality and the truth that they believe Jesus is with them and that he is for them. Declaring through this act of baptism that they believe they have died with Christ and they are going to resurrect with Christ. Believing that Jesus died for them and he is resurrected for them. This morning, I'm excited to invite Joel to come up and to lead us in this act of baptism. And as we watch this too, I believe and I ask that you would 
be mindful of, that the Lord would lead us all in being mindful of, that he's alive and he is with us and he is for us. Amen.